0: Just Thinking, with hosts Darrell Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural
1: apologetics, as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think.
0: We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: And I am... Darrell Harrison, what's going on, Omaha? What's, what's you know, going
0: man? on, man? Not much, what's, man. Ready what's for like over snow? there
1: in Nebraska,
0: man? It's actually chilling out a little bit. I mean, and 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 by that I mean the the winter is is acting like it wants to it wants to hold off. There's no no additional snow. It's starting to warm up to the to the uh, to the high 30s, and so we're we're I feel like a heat wave's coming next week. We're gonna hit 40 something here in a bit. So we're thawing out, man. It's a good look.
1: I think winter is just teasing you, man. I think winter's gonna be back. Winter, winter's gonna pull an Arnold Schwarzenegger on you, man. Right. And say, I'll be back. We'll be back,
0: yeah. We'll be now, back, I'm, man. man, I hope, I hope not, man. I'm, I'm, re, I'm rebuking the devil on that one. I'm gonna have to go back to my Pentecostal <laughs> days, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rebuking hey, the devil on that one, bro.
1: Hey, y'all. That was Omaha going all charismatic on you guys. That wasn't me. <laughs> That wasn't bro. that wasn't Daryl. So hey, bro. but speaking of being back, man, I'm back from ShepCon 2019 Shepherd's man, Conference.
0: Man, how I saw the pictures, man, on Twitter and on Facebook and and folks who follow the show and and, and found you and you know Daryl sightings were everywhere. So man, how how did how did that go, bro?
1: Yeah, so this is my first Shepherd's Conference. Uh I've wanted to attend Shepherd's Conference for years and uh finally got the opportunity by God's grace, as uh as an employee of grace to you which is the uh, preaching and teaching ministry of Dr. John MacArthur and uh, spent all week at Grace Community Church uh, just participating in Shepherd Conference as one of a team of folks from Grace to You, Mm. uh, managing the Grace to You display booth Uh, at the Grace to You booth. Just as an aside, we had a a virtual uh, recording studio set up. It, It was actually similar, very similar to the one that John MacArthur uses uh, to record for, uh, grace to you, uh, folks who would listen to us on radio and over the internet via the uh, grace to you app. And that studio afforded these brothers who were attending shepherds conference, the opportunity to record a 32nd message to John, uh, in recognition of his 50 years in uh, as pastor of grace to uh, grace community church, as well as 50 years of, uh, broadcast ministry on Grace to You. So um, most of the hours at Shepherd's Conference, I spent helping the team out at the Grace to You display, but I also spent lots of time in the book tent Wow! at Shepherd's Conference. So uh, just a word of advice for anyone who may be planning to attend Shepherd's Conference in the future, Mm -hmm. either be prepared to spend lots of money in that book tent or mm. discipline yourself to stay away from the book tent. All right, time. right, right. Because it is irresistible, man, so much good stuff in the book tent at shepherd's conference man i
0: saw i saw you took some pictures of your of your hall man and then i, I saw yours and then uh i think my my brother kofi had a few that he mm-hmm. he, he he was actually broadcasting live i mean it's a it's the first time i ever seen anybody do a live stream from the book tent man i'm like but look but at see, this that, man
1: that's kofi kofi yeah. was everywhere kofi was ubiquitous man he was everywhere yeah and i finally got to meet that brother in person i got to meet andrew rappaport yeah, it's good and, people, uh, man. I know I'm taking a risk by naming names here. Right. Chris Honholz. I got to meet Chris in person. So mm-hmm. many of these brothers who we know from social media, right, Omaha. Right. I had the, the privilege, really. It, it was it was very much a humbling privilege for me to meet these brothers and and hug these brothers and shake these brothers hands and mm-hmm. and sit down and talk with them um, and learn about what they're doing on behalf of the kingdom of Christ. and Isn't preaching the gospel. Uh, to lost souls all yeah. over the world yeah and, and uh amazing. so yeah it's it's absolutely incredible uh so I want to thank everyone at grace to you uh my manager Jay flowers I want to thank Phil johnson uh I obviously want to thank John MacArthur uh for providing me with this opportunity uh to participate at Shepherd's conference and I encourage uh every pastor out there who wasn't able to attend this year to go ahead and block out sometime next year, once we know what those days are going to be mm-hmm. uh, for, for the 2020 uh, Shepherd's conference here in uh, Southern California at Grace Community Church.
0: And that's awesome.
1: That's a, it, it. It's a, it's a privilege to get to meet those brothers to watch them via
0: social media from afar and kind of admire what God's doing in it the, with their work. And then to see them live and in concert kind of, so to speak, and in person and, uh, and, and just the the affection you feel like it's, it's interesting because you feel like because of the fact you followed their work, mm-hmm. You, you, you know them, you know, you know them personally yeah. And, yeah. And, and well. And so you kind of yeah. get a feel for that. And, and I mean, it's kind of the same thing with, with folks who, who, follow, um, who follow Just Thinking broadcast, man. When, you know, when I was at G3, and I'm sure you experienced it at Shepcon, and folks who feel like they kind of know you from having listened to the show and, and having engaged in, and, you know, kind of, they, they spend time with you, you know, whether it's, yep. whether it's with this podcast or watching you, in, in, you know, on Twitter or, or yeah. Facebook. And uh, it's it's neat what how social media has kind of shrank the world, so to speak, in a a positive way in that way.
1: Yeah, and and speaking of positive things, let me just say one thing as an as an aside here: there were over forty five hundred brothers that attended Shepherd's Conference uh, at Grace Community Church this week. These were brothers of every ethnicity you could probably think of. Wow! And, And as I'm interacting with these brothers, I'm just thinking about the idiocy of this whole woke. Evangelism that is perpetrating a fraud against evangelical Christianity. Mm. You see these brothers getting together, loving on one another, sort of uh gathering in groups of brothers to pray for one another. Mm. These brothers are, are hearing the gospel preached from brothers who were of different ethnicities than they mm-hmm. and just just experiencing and witnessing that oneness. That over four thousand brothers had that oneness in Jesus Christ mm. that shall we say just 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 superseded all that other superficiality mm. and that's exactly what it is. It's just superficiality uh, to just see that and and just see what the gospel does in the heart of a person who has really been regenerated by the Mm -hmm. power of God's Holy Spirit. This is is what happens. None of that superficial stuff matters. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. It doesn't matter the texture of your hair. It doesn't matter what region of the world you're from. Mm -hmm. These brothers were all united and loving on one another because they are believers in Jesus Christ and his. That's what makes them brothers. Nothing else matters. And it was just wonderful to see that.
0: Mm, That's awesome, man. That's a good word. That's a good word. I, 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 I appreciate what you said, how you said it. And it, it kind of tees us up, man, for where we're going to go tonight. And, uh, and some of the conversation that we're going to have, uh, around, around the issue, uh, of socialism, man, a biblical, we want to look at a biblical theology uh of socialism we we uh we talk about it in a number of different ways and i think when as we were kind of teeing up this uh this episode before we before we uh we we hit record we talked about the fact that that it's funny some people think that they know uh what what the what socialism is and what it Mm -hmm. means and Mm -hmm. and how it functions and and i think we we get portions bits and pieces of it right but but this is an important topic man for us to delve into tonight and uh I'm excited about about the conversation and and about where we're going to go uh and how I think this will be a, be beneficial L- like like I mean as we've done with other with other broadcasts I think this will be an, another anchor show for someone that they'll want to this will be one that they'll want to pull up and replay and maybe take some notes and, and kind of write some things down uh, so that they can have a leaping off point for future study. And so, uh, man, I'm excited about where we're going to go, what we're going to talk about uh, tonight. You, you and I discussed a couple of different topics and uh, and you kind of said, hey, this is where we'll land and and this is where we're going. And truth be told, and I, I kind of shared this with you up, up, up top, you know, I thought just based upon how busy I knew that you would be this weekend with Shepcon, man, I, I you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how we were, we were going to, you know, how we we're going to pull this together, what it was going to look like. And you kind of put some some ideas and thoughts behind it. Got got your notes put pulled together. And, uh, man, I have a feeling, man, this is going to be a pretty lengthy episode. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm almost tempted to, to to warn the listeners, man, tee t- it up, get ready, sit down uh, or at least or at least put put this in a place where you can maybe pause it, come back to it, because I think it'll be that valuable uh, to the listener. So anything you want to add to that as we as we jump in?
1: Yeah, you described it very well, Omaha. This is one of those episodes where we really need to dive deep. We need to dive deeply into this in order to do it justice. And that's what we endeavor to do on every episode of the Just Thinking broadcast. We we have to do every topic that we tackle. We have to do it justice, first of all, by God himself, because we don't want to do anything halfway and then walk away thinking that we honor God by doing that. So this subject we chose, like we do every subject, because it's germane to the church. Mm. Uh, This issue of socialism, unfortunately, is being embraced by many within evangelical Christianity today. Um, And and with that being the case, we felt it necessary to broach this topic on the Just Thinking broadcast. So uh, as you alluded to, we've titled this episode a biblical theology of socialism, or Mm. if you will, you can also title it why socialism is unbiblical yeah why socialism is unbiblical i want to sort of kick us off here as we always do uh on the just thinking broadcast we open the word of god and we look at what the word of god has to say about every subject that we tackle uh on this broadcast so here we go so let's start in uh exodus chapter 23 exodus 23 and as you're as you're listening to this episode uh to our beloved listeners out there as you listen to the remainder of this episode, which as Virgil alluded to, it's probably going to be a more an extended episode. So it's probably going to be a little longer than the usual hour or so. But that's absolutely necessary in order for us to do justice to this topic mm-hmm. and feel that we have uh, given you, the listeners, um, uh, the, the content, the biblically sound content that you've come to expect from Omaha and me uh, through this uh, through this medium. Mm-hmm. So let's look at Exodus 23, verses 1 through 3. So keep this text in mind as you listen to the rest of this episode. Exodus 23, verses 1 through 3. And as usual, I will be reading from the non-Arminian standard. And
0: I, I knew you generation. were going there, man. I knew you were going
1: there. Got to get us kicked off right man. <laughs> <laughs> N-E-S-B-Z for sheezy. Do it, do it. <laughs> do Exodus it, 23, 1 through 3. This is the Lord God speaking. You shall not bear a false witness. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Now here's the last part of that verse where I want folks to get to the last part of verse three of Exodus 23. Verses one through three, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute, nor shall you be partial to a, a poor man in his dispute. That is Exodus 23 verses one through three from the non-Arminian standard Bible. Now, as you allude to at the top, Omaha, there's a perception, at least from where I sit. uh that people think they know what socialism is. They think they know if they, 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 I think if I were to pin someone against the wall and ask them what socialism is, most people would probably think they have a a good idea about what socialism is. However, I I tend to disagree. So I want to start our, our conversation here with a definition of socialism, because unless we understand what socialism is by definition, Everything else that we understand in this episode is a moot point. Right. So we have to give this conversation some context by, first of all, discussing what socialism is. So here is a textbook definition of socialism. Now, generally speaking, and I say generally speaking because there are different types of socialism, and we'll talk about those different types here in just a second but socialism is a social and economic doctrine. Okay. Socialism is a social and economic doctrine that calls for public rather than private ownership or control of property and natural resources. Let me repeat that. Socialism advocates public rather than private ownership or control of, or control of property and natural resources. Now, So according to the socialist view, individuals do not live or work in isolation. That is, they do not live and work for the benefit of themselves, but they live in cooperation with one another and for the benefit of one another. Furthermore, everything that that, that people produce, everything that people produce is in some way to the socialist, a social product. Okay, everything that individuals produce to the socialist is in some sense a social product and everyone who contributes to the production of a good or service is entitled to share equally in that good or service society as a whole therefore in the socialist mind should own or at least control that property that goods or service for the benefit of everyone in society okay so in a nutshell Again, socialism is a doctrine that calls for public ownership and control of property and natural resources, and that includes private property. So the socialist views uh, individualism as wrong. Right. They view collectivism as the goal, and we're going to dive really deep into this, guys. We're gonna dive really deep into this issue, listeners. So as Virgil said earlier, listen, sit down, grab a cup of coffee, relax, uh, because we're gonna be we're gonna be with you for a while, and that's out of necessity. Okay, that's out of necessity. So we have defined socialism as a doctrine that's going to be very important as we continue this conversation. Mm-hmm. Socialism is a doctrine that calls for public rather than private ownership or control of property and natural resources resources so omaha any thoughts before we dive uh, do I deep dive into this, man? No, I I, th- I think this this helps us to kind of get a framework,
0: and and I think for the most part, if people kind of have the thought process in mind, and you you alluded to it alongside it, capitalism looks at production distribution uh, of, of of resources from an individual perspective. Right. So you've got you've got the difference between socialism. Socialism d- looks at public and, and private ownership uh, in in a in a in the opposite way. It's a collect- collective it's 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 the it's the rights of everyone right it's it's the rights of really government first which redistributes that wealth once it's taken and so whereas capitalism in opposition to that says no you're an individual you're the one who control your own your own means of production the distribution of those means and the exchanges in which you'll engage those those are all decided upon you the individual Where socialism says, no, not decided by you as an individual, it's going to be decided by the collective, by by the government or by some entity, the state, what have you. So those those are those are two ideas that I think if you put side by side, uh, helps you to understand more clearly why what this is and, and how it's defined.
1: Yeah, that's a great breakdown, Omaha. And I appreciate you expanding on that, because, as I said earlier, we're going to do a very, very deep dive into this subject. And we're going to deep dive because it's absolutely necessary to do that with respect to what the word of God says about socialism and whether or not it's a biblical ideology or worldview to subscribe to. So we have defined socialism here in the first couple of minutes. Right. Socialism is a doctrine calls for public rather than private ownership of property, goods and services. And in the socialist mind. Uh, the socialist believes that those goods and services that are produced uh, the property as well are for the benefit of the collective and not for the, not the individual. Right. So preparing for this episode, uh, uh, you know, there were, there were two sort of uh, assumptions uh, that I think a lot of people have. Number one, that they know what socialism is mm-hmm. and that and number two, that there's pretty much only one type of socialism. Well, well, that would be uh, a misunderstanding of socialism as well, because in preparing for this episode, I found at least seven different types of socialism, seven. There were probably more, Mm -hmm. but knowing that this will be an expanded episode, uh, I didn't want to do an exhaustive, (laughs) um, you know, treatment of this, but there are, there are at least seven different types of socialism. And again, out of respect for our listeners, I think it's important that we give a brief high level definition of all seven of these. So we're going to run through these We've defined socialism. Now let's talk about different types of socialism. And these are in no particular order with respect to which belief system or which worldview is more socialist than the other. Uh, So first we have democratic socialism, democratic socialism. So democratic socialism advocates socialism as an economic principle. The means of production should be in the hands of ordinary working people. And democracy as a governing principle. So you have two principles here operating within democratic socialism. An economic pr- principle, which means that the production of goods and services should be in the hands of ordinary working people. That is the collective that we alluded to before. And then there's a democracy or a governing principle, right? that is, democracy as a governing principle. And that principle advocates that political power should be in the hands of the people democratically. Okay? Democratic socialism attempts to bring about socialism through peaceful democratic means, such as elections, and is opposed to violent insurrection. Democratic socialism is similar, but not necessarily identical to social democracy, which is more centrist in nature and supports a broadly capitalist system with some social reforms, such as the welfare state. Social democracy is intended to make society more equitable and humane. Now, by contrast, democratic socialism implies an ideology that is more left wing and supportive of a fully socialist system established either by gradually reforming capitalism from within or by some form of revolutionary transformation. Now, as an aside, uh, as, as a side note, as we talk about the definition of democratic socialism, keep in mind that democratic socialism—socialism—is the type of socialism which New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez identifies. Mm-hmm. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is probably one of the more vocal socialists in the, in America today. She identifies as a democratic socialist. Okay. And again, democratic socialism advocates a fully socialist system. So they want to get rid of capitalism altogether. It's just a matter of they want to do that through peaceful means, such as using the uh, uh, electoral process within the United States, in this case, to elect more socialists to uh, office. So that's democratic.
0: Go ahead, Virgil. I'm I'm glad you said that, because I think I think it's important to note that that this form of socialism uh a it seems palatable to the masses right because of the word yep. democratic yep. um and and that's the it, hook yeah that's the hook and it shouldn't be because it's no less destructive than the than, than the marxist core from which it it, it shows its ugly head and so right. we we've got to keep that in mind though it sounds nice and, and, and friendly because we've got the democratic thing on there. We've got, Hey, this is, this is in the hands of the people and power to the people. Mm-hmm. Really the power is extracted from people given right. to the state. And at the point at which they recognize
1: they're in peril, it's way too late. It's way too late. It's, it's, and, and we say that very sa- same thing in our definition of socialism. Socialism is social. That's the root word. It benefits the social, benefits society, the collective, not the individual. Mm -hmm. So we've defined democratic socialism. Uh, The second type of socialism is called revolutionary socialism. Now, revolutionary socialism advocates the need for fundamental social change through revolution or insurrection rather than gradual reform as if through the electoral process as a strategy to receive uh, to achieve rather a socialist society. So revolutionary socialism is exactly as it sounds. They want revolution. This, this, this is, this is in some ways, uh, what your black lives matters activities look like mm-hmm. revolution, insurrection, agitation, confrontation. They want to go hard, hard, hard to transform society from a capitalist society to a socialist society so um, in contrast to democratic socialism which wants to use the electoral process to overthrow capitalism revolutionary socialism doesn't care i mean they want to they want to fight literally mm-hmm. they want to mm-hmm. fight for it man Third, I'll, 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 only,
0: I'll, I'll only add here now I'll, I'll, I'll try not to interrupt you through through each one of these i just wanted to add the democratic socialist will use the language of of other aspects of these socialistic means. Mm-hmm. So, so while, while the democratic socialist sounds peaceful sounds equitable hey we voted this in this is what we the people want, they will use the language that's revolutionary in mm-hmm. nature. To 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 get to where they're trying to go. So again, I, I I want us not to be fooled by the first term and recognize that each one of these definitions that that we're, that we're walking through that Daryl has taken the time to 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 make sure that we all understand and know are important. Each one of them are important because mm-hmm. the language, the, the 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 democratic socialists will use the language from a number of these different aspects of socialism to achieve their, their goals.
1: Yeah, you made a great point a second ago, uh, Omaha, with respect to how democratic socialists and socialists in general will hook you. They'll hook you with certain words, certain terms mm-hmm. to make you think that they are innocuous. Mm-hmm. But then once you realize it's the old adage of the frog uh, in the boiling pot, right? You just right. gradually turn up the heat. Next thing you know, the the frog doesn't know what's going on until it's dead. Mm-hmm. It's too late because mm-hmm. before he realizes it, because the heat was turned up so slowly on him, he's it's boiled to death. Right. Absolutely. See, this is this is exactly what socialists do. You're absolutely right. So with respect to Democratic socialists, you nailed it. They will use. Uh, palatable terminologies like democratic and the people and power. We want the people to be in power. But those are all subtle terms that really trace back to communism. Mm-hmm. Uh you'll hear you'll hear, for example, someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez use terms like workers. I've I've always hated that workers is a term that's what communists call employees. Mm-hmm. They can't call you employees because employee is a capitalistic term so they'll use workers Mm -hmm. you know so so you need to pick up on verbiage like that when you hear these socialists talk in the media and on social media because they will, they will as you just said uh omaha they will use terms that run the gamut from marxism all the way Mm -hmm. out to communism Mm -hmm. but unless you understand and know what these varied types of socialism are you won't be able to pick up on how they're trying to hook you and draw you in with these subtle terms. So that's a great point, Omaha. So we've talked about democratic socialism. We've just defined revolutionary socialism. The third of the seven types of socialism is utopian socialism. Now, I think this may be sort of cross-pollinated with Fabian socialism, but I'll use the term utopian socialism. And utopian socialism is a term used to define Define the first currents of modern socialists through the first quarter of the 19th century. So, this is one of the earlier uh, manifestations of socialism. Mm-hmm. Utopian socialism rejects all political and revolutionary action. So, utopian socialists will not align themselves with democratic socialists or, especially, not revolutionary socialists. So, utopian socialists seek to attain it, there is by peaceful means and through small social experiments. So th- the utopian socialists will build a socialist state block by block, piece by piece. They're not trying to change society as a whole on on, a, on sort of a rapid uh, trajectory. They're willing to wait this thing out. Let's see if, how much we can uh, uh, achieve our goals through these small social experiments, again, the more successful they are at getting people to adopt these small experiments of of socialism, then over time, they know that they will achieve their goal. So they're willing to wait this thing out and be patient. So that's democratic socialism, revolutionary socialism, utopian socialism. And the fourth is what is referred to as libertarian socialism, libertarian socialism. This is a kind of socialism that seeks to create a society without political, economic, or social hierarchies, one in which every person would have free and equal access to tools of information and production. Libertarian socialism would be achieved through the abolition of authoritarian institutions and private property. So the direct control of the means of production of resources will be gained by the working class, and society as a whole. So there you have, again, a contrast between individualism versus collectivism. So the libertarian socialists would have, they would argue, would provide free and equal access to tools of information and production while while abolishing private property, abolishing it altogether. The fifth type of socialism is what's called market socialism. Market socialism is a term used to define an economic system in which there is a market economy directed and guided by socialist planners and where prices would be set through trial and error with adjustments made as shortages and surpluses occur rather than relying on a free price or free market mechanism such as capitalism. Now, by contrast, a socialist market economy. So we, we, we define market market socialism But here's what a socialist market economy looks like in contrast to market socialism. So a socialist market economy such as that that is practiced in the People's Republic of China is one in which major industries are owned by state entities. But they compete with each other within a pricing system that is set by the market and the state doesn't routinely intervene in the setting of prices. So here you have. Market socialism in contrast with a socialist market economy. So you have those within America who want market socialism. That is uh, a fixed price market, but they don't want to go to the extreme of having a socialist market economy such as what exists in China. Okay. Any thoughts Omaha? Yeah, this is, this is important to know.
0: I think again, my, my goal, it wouldn't be to continue to interrupt you, but just the thought process of us knowing and understanding these pieces Um, Again, I want to just encourage our listeners, man, to take out a pen and some paper and and to begin writing these ideas down, marking these ideas, and then noting when you're seeing these – when when you're seeing people articulate some of these ideas, as we we mentioned earlier, some of the language from market socialism, uh, from uh, in particular uh, revolutionary socialism – Gets used by the democratic socialist,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: and oftentimes if we're not if we're not making note of where they're going or what they're sharing, we can we can miss it. And 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 for for those who who desire to see kind of the who who understand that they that capitalism has has built in inequities in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the market, because so- because we're
1: because we're sinners, right? Because we're absolutely,
0: sinners. absolutely. And so when when that takes place the market socialist shows up on the scene and what they're saying sounds really, really good to us. Right. And, yep. and, 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 we, we begin to think, Oh, there, there's a way to get around the fact that, that there are, that there are sinners who are a part of this socialist system as well. Right. Uh, so we, so we buy onto an, an ideological uh, thought process that's the, really the gospel of of socialism and and mm-hmm. I, I don't want to I don't want to jump I don't want to jump ahead of of where we're going tonight but 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 we begin to we begin to 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 subscribe to to a religious cause uh, as an ideology as a worldview uh, that's absolutely flawed in its nature anyway I I don't want to get ahead of, of of where we're trying to go but I just simply I, th- I think it's of note to do two things one is to take notes and two is to recognize that the language of the democratic socialist gets pulled from many of these areas that you're defining for us.
1: Indeed. Great stuff, Omaha, man. I appreciate you again. And again, uh, I think this, this is the type of episode that the the vast majority of our listeners come to expect from us. So uh, again, this is going to be an expanded episode, but it's going to be expanded out of necessity. So we appreciate our listeners uh, hanging in there with us as we sort of uh, unpack and exposit this very, very important issue that again, is confronting the church. All right, so we've gone through five of the type five of the seven types of socialism that I'm going to cover in this episode: democratic socialism, revolutionary socialism, utopian socialism, libertarian socialism, market socialism, and now it gets really good. It gets really good. Number six, eco socialism. I think this is probably one of the newer uh, types of socialism that has come on the scene, but eco. ECO socialism, uh, also known as green socialism or socialist ecology. Now, eco-socialism is an ideology merging aspects of Marxism, socialism, green politics, ecology, or climate change and the anti-globalization movement. Now, eco-socialists act, uh, advocate the nonviolent dismantling of capitalism and the state. Okay. So eco-socialists advocate the nonviolent dismantling of capitalism and the state focusing on collective ownership of the means of production in order to mitigate the social exclusion, poverty and environmental degradation brought about as they see it by the capitalist system, globalization and imperialism. Mm. And let me say that again, eco-socialists, advocate the nonviolent dismantling of capitalism and the state focusing on collective ownership of the means of production in order to mitigate the social exclusion, poverty and environmental degradation brought about by the capitalist system as they see it, which includes globalization and imperialism. Now note, eco-socialism is the type of socialism that is being advocated and propagated by New York Congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with her so-called Green New Deal. Her Green New Deal is eco-socialism. It's the epitome of eco-socialism. Mm-hmm. Now, lastly, number seven, and this is where we're going to park for the rest of this episode, because this is a kind of socialism that is being most embraced by the evangelical church today. And this is called Christian socialism. This is Christian socialism. Christian socialism refers to those on the Christian socio-political left whose worldview is a hybrid of both biblical Christianity and socialism and who see these two things as being interconnected within the teachings of Jesus Christ. Christian socialists draw parallels between what some have characterized as the egalitarian and anti-establishment, anti-establishment message of Jesus and the messages of modern socialism okay so christian socialists sort of they have sort of a hybrid uh worldview going on here they sort of blend or co-mingle what they refer to as the egalitarian and anti-establishment message of jesus along with certain messages within modern socialism now note this christian socialism is actually the type of socialism many liberal evangelical Christians are advocating, under the banner of social gospel. Mm. Okay, so social gospel is nothing more than Christian socialism. It just, it just goes by another name.
0: Any mm-hmm. thoughts on this, uh, Omaha? No, I think I think that's spot on, and and you know, too, you you'll hear some of the language around this. I, truth be told, let me let me say this. I I think that. That that this of all of the aspects of socialism is the most dangerous. Agree, um, because you and I both know that 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 the gospel is the only thing that we have in this world that changes hearts and minds and writes all that's wrong about a fallen humanity. Mm-hmm. And 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 when we get the when we get the when we begin mixing the gospel with something as pernicious as as socialism. Um, something as dangerous as socialism, something as as vile as socialism, so, something as antithetical to biblical Christianity as socialism. Uh, we we I, I think we incur the the anathema of of Paul and and to the Galatian church, uh, where he says, "If anyone comes preaching to you a, a gospel different than that which we preached, may they be an anathema." And mm-hmm. uh, I, I I think that I think that's where where we begin to stand when we see this hybrid
1: of socialism uh and christianity. I I completely agree and that's again why I want us to park right here. So we're going to park on the seventh and last type of socialism that we're going to cover in this episode of the Just Thinking Broadcast because this is the type of socialism that that is most impactful to the church right now uh here in 2019. Now, as I said, I want to expand on that last category of socialism for just a moment. Now, the origins of the social gospel, the origins of the social gospel date back to the early 19th century to Christian progressives such as Washington Gladden, William Dwight Porter Bliss, and Walter Rauschenbush. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may remember the name Walter Rauschenbusch from a previous episode on social justice that we've done here mm-hmm. on the Just Thinking Broadcast. Now, the social justice gospel movement was a response to the rapid urbanization, industrialization and mass immigration of the late 1800s, when Protestant clergymen became interested in securing social justice for the poor, partly as an attempt to expand the appeal of the Protestant church in urban cities, where the Roman Catholic Church was especially popular among the large immigrant populations. Now, traditionally. The social gospel has focused on issues as varied as poverty, unemployment, civil rights, pollution, drug addiction, political corruption, and gun control. The social gospel rejected the individualistic social ethics. So we've talked about this earlier just a couple minutes ago. Socialism is inherently antithetical to the idea of individualism, as is the social gospel. The social gospel rejects the individual social ethic, adhering instead to a distinctively collectivist rationale as a result of the theological liberalism that emerged out of attempts to reconcile the Christian faith with, listen to this, evolutionary thought, historical critical analysis of the Bible, philosophical idealism, and the study of other world religions. So this is really where we have the genesis of the social gospel it is really not uh, a gospel at all. It is more worldly than gospel. Mm-hmm. Now at the core of the social gospel or alternatively Christian pro- li- Christian progressivism or Christian socialism at the heart of this is the idea that Christians must work in this world to establish the kingdom of God with social justice for all that social justice for all includes reparations for slavery, as well as ecclesiastical egalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Now we're not going to expand on those two right now, but I just want to give the folks a definition of, or or rather sort of an idea of uh, how closely related Christian socialism is to the social gospel and the social Mm -hmm. justice gospel. They are all one in the same. Yeah. The social gospel, just like socialism in general, rejects the social ethic of individualism and is wholly collectivist in its ideals. And it is influenced by theological liberalism that emerged out of evolutionary thought, or you may call it Darwinism, as well as being associated and influenced by other world religions. Um, so, but contemporarily speaking, one of the more vociferous opponents, opponents of Christian socialism or the social gospel was a man by the name of Frederick Niemeyer. Mm-hmm. Frederick Niemeyer, in the 1950s and 60s was the publisher and principal author of a publication called Progressive Calvinism progressive calvinism does that sound like an oxymoron or, or what yeah does. yeah, yeah. <laughs> two two opposite ideas right in 1971 frederick Niemeyer in a paper titled social action 119 that's social action 119 Niemeyer wrote this now again neumeyer is an opponent of christian socialism neumeyer wrote this in 1971 quote The social gospel may be the most crucial of all problems besetting Christian churches at this time. For when a Christian's ethical certitudes are revealed to be defective, as it always turns out to be in the social gospel, then he ends up abandoning confidence in valid biblical faith. In practice, what happens is that when social gospel action fails to produce valid results, the person promoting such programs does not abandon the social gospel and return to the true gospel, but plunges deeper into further social gospel actions with progressively more frustrating results. Mm. No denomination appears to have prospered greatly in ideas or in peace under the social gospel. There is reason to believe that the consequences of the irrationalism or heterodoxy of the social gospel may turn out to be as unfavorable in the Christian Reformed Church as they have been elsewhere, unquote.
0: Look, look, man, if I had a Hammond B3 right now, <laughs> if if I had a Hammond B3, I would be tuning it up for show. Can, can you hear what I'm telling you? I hear you, bro. That man is you. preaching the word right there. That's w- that's
1: that's it right there. This was this was in 1971, right? forty-eight years ago.
0: Right, right, man. If I had if I if I had a Hammond B three, bro, and could play, I would <laughs> I would have look. I would have you start that quote over, and we would mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: we would tune it up in here. I'm telling you. I know, right? He nailed it. Neymar nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. Now, along the same line of thought as was expressed by Neymar, Frederick Neymar, in his document, Social Action 119, listen to what the doctor, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, had to say about the same issue on social justice. This is from his book, Preaching and Preachers. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, I have no hesitation in asserting that what was largely responsible for emptying the churches in Great Britain was that, quote unquote, social gospel preaching and the institutional church. It was more responsible for doing so than anything else. The people rightly argued in this way, that if the business of the church was really just to preach a form of political and social reform and pacifism, then the church was not really necessary. For all this could have been done through political agencies. So they left the churches and went and did it or tried to do it through their political parties. That was perfectly logical, but its effect upon the churches was most harmful. When you depart from the primary task of the church and do something else, though your motive may be pure and excellent, that is the result. I am not disputing or criticizing the motives. I am simply showing that actually this theory in practice has the reverse effect from that which it sets out to achieve. Lloyd-Jones continues, I argue that in many ways it is the departure of the church from preaching that is responsible in a large measure for the state of modern society. So Lloyd-Jones is arguing that the church has departure, has departed rather from its true mission which is preaching the gospel. So he says, I argue that in many ways, it is the departure of the church from preaching that is responsible in a large measure for the state of modern society. The church has been trying to preach morality and ethics without the gospel as a basis. It has been preaching morality without godliness, and it simply does not work. It never has done, and it never will. And the result is that the church having abandoned her real task has left humanity more or less to its own devices unquote mm. thoughts on the doctor here Man, Omaha?
0: again again and so listen for for our for our listeners who who didn't grow up in a in a quote-unquote black church that the hammond b3 is an <laughs> organ it's an <laughs> organ right you got to tune up the organ that's when the preacher tunes up his voice and they get to go. I had to, I thought, I thought about, it. I thought, you know, I might've lost some of the listeners right just then, you know,
1: it's all good. They'll catch up. They'll catch up. But no, I,
0: again, they're probably,
1: they're probably Googling Hammond B3, right? Now. Right. 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 <laughs> Listen, our our listeners are sharp. Our listeners are sharp. Right. They're sharp. Right,
0: right. They're going to, they're going to figure it out. But no, I, man, I, again, I just look at, you know, the doctor, his quote, uh, the quotes of 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 Neymar, I mean, again, look at when they when they said these things, what they saw. This is nothing, you know. Scripture is clear, nothing's new under the nothing's sun. Nothing's new under the sun. No, this comes back. It shows its ugly head, and and it's responsible. I mean, Lloyd Jones says he felt like it was it was responsible for emptying the churches in Great Britain. Right, social and, the social uh, gospel the social, social gospel were
1: responsible for emptying the
0: churches in Great Britain during this time. Yeah. I I you know and then and then and then when they find that things aren't working they double down and triple down. I mean that's right. that's the level of, of virtue signaling that we have now and right. and uh, it it's just, it's amazing. I mean we 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 have the blueprint. We know we know where this is going.
1: Exactly right. So, on that note again, we've covered the definition of socialism. We've exposited seven different types of socialism again. There may be more. But again as we as we continue to discuss this, you really realize the depths of how dangerous this worldview is, uh, not just to society in general but especially the church and we've got Christians out here, professed Christians who are adopting this worldview and promoting it now, speaking of promoting it, there was an article that appeared recently on the website, The Federalist, that included some survey data that showed that 53% of 18 to 29 year olds had a favorable view of socialism compared to only 25% of Americans who are over age 55. Now I can't qualify this Omaha, but a primary reason I believe that so many millennials are attracted to socialism is because they don't actually understand what socialism is. They think they do, but they don't. In fact, a recent Washington post article stated that when confronted with the actual definition of socialism, which is government ownership of the means of production or government running businesses, only 32% of millennials favored an economy managed by the government. Mm-hmm. While similar to older generations, 64, 64% preferred a free market economy. And as millennials age and begin to earn more money, the socialistic ideal seem to just slip away. Mm-hmm. Now, now, remember when, be, before having the definition of socialism explained to them, 53 percent, more than half of millennials polled, favored a socialist worldview. But when you explain to them what socialism really is, that dropped by 20 points down to 32 percent. Right. I ask the question, why is that? Why the drop? Well, because I would argue that the drop is because of innate and innate awareness that the wages for which one labors honestly and legally belong to him and her, not the state. You know this innately. You know this inherently that when you put forth volitionally, you put forth your volitional effort, your volitional labor, and you are compensated for that. Those are your wages. Right. They don't belong to the, That's That's just an inherent principle that you are aware of by virtue of being born. You don't even Mm -hmm. need to go to school for that. Mm -mm. So again, when millennials are brought face to face with what socialism face to face with what socialism actually is as a doctrine, and we emphasize that right at the top of this episode, socialism is a doctrine. When millennials are brought, they're confronted with what socialism is as a doctrine. There is a more than 20 percent decrease. And their support of the concept of a centralized centralized state ownership of their labor, their productivity and their property. And that's exactly why I took the time at the beginning of this episode to define what socialism actually is and to distinguish between some of the various brands, if you will, of socialism that exists today. Uh, any thoughts on, the, on, on either of those articles and, and that polling data, Omaha?
0: No, that's just I mean, that's reality when you recognize it sounds great when you're thinking about getting everybody else's stuff for free. And, uh, you know, 18 to 29 year olds hadn't really lived out on their own very long. More and more of them are living at home for a longer period of time. They're able to maintain, you know, their, their their health insurance on their on the backs of their parents. So it's easy to subscribe to more free stuff for a longer period of time until you're actually the one held responsible to create the earnings for someone else to live for free, and Bingo. then it does. Then it doesn't sound so favorable. Uh, then, then you recognize. You know what? I I, I want to. Whatever I earn, I'd like to keep because it, it. I've I've earned it fairly. I've earned it legally. Uh, it, it's my effort, my energy, and uh, and and those kinds of ideas begin to begin to wane, and and they don't seem you know so so grandiose after all. But that 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 shouldn't come as a surprise when we begin to recognize. What the reality of socialism actually is? Unfortunately, it's been ingrained in in young people from the time they they start school until you know until they graduate, and uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of what's at issue. I, I, I think I think the, the 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 articles that you brought to bear, the the numbers that you brought to bear, really speak for themselves. I mean, it, it's it, it it makes sense. You get it. They're working. They don't want to give it up, and that's how that works.
1: Yeah, you wonder, you know, what are the parents teaching these children? Because, you right. know, I fear that well, when you look at what parents are teaching their children today or not teaching them combined with the state of the public school system in America, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. need not wonder where they're getting this from. Uh, you know, we, we, we alluded earlier to uh Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's only twenty nine. She's a millennial right. and yet she's right. out here trying to explain to people who have lived much longer than her, uh, what the benefits of socialism uh, are as opposed to capitalism. You know, she's, she hasn't, has she even worked for a full decade yet?
0: No, probably
1: not. And and the irony here is that here she is an elected Congresswoman earning a six six figure salary. How do you think she's earning that salary? She's earning that salary on the backs of taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And how do you think taxpayers are able to pay their taxes? They're able to pay their taxes because of wages that they earn through their mm-hmm. labors. Right. Their volitional labors. Their mm-hmm. volitional labors. Now, notwithstanding the various, and that could be a whole other episode about why millennials believe what they believe. But we won't. No, yeah, like, to that. like I, I thought about that when you said that.
0: I thought, man. You could you could spend you could spend an entire episode on what what this current generation of of adults and grandparents have taught and passed along to Mm -hmm. to this generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you when you when you look at it in in light of what from a spiritual standpoint, what we've passed along or or more probably a better way of saying that what we haven't passed along. Yeah. Uh. To to the next generation. And then and then thereby the those biblical principles haven't been effectively passed down. So we shouldn't be surprised how they how they represent themselves economically, socially, culturally and otherwise. So,
1: yeah. And when you talk about grandparents, you know, something that that, you know, sadly, we need to realize and accept is that, you know, the generation today, the grandparents aren't that much older than the grandchildren.
0: Right. You right.
1: know, so in, in many respects, you've got a world worldview that's uh, uh, with respect to socialism anyway, you've got a worldview that doesn't have much experience under its belt that's being passed on to two, maybe even three generations. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, notwithstanding that, notwithstanding that and notwithstanding the various types of socialism that we've just covered, here's the bottom line. When all is said and done, all those seven types of socialism that we discussed when all is said and done, they all, they all have one fundamental objective in common. And that one thing is the confiscation and redistribution of individual wealth and the control and or elimination of private property. Mm-hmm. They all have that one thing in common. That is the end game of all socialism regardless of the various distinctions, nuances, and differences in their approach. Let me give you a case in point. A case in point is some information I came across on the website of the International Socialist Organization, or the ISO. Under their section, under the heading, what we do. So this is the website of the International Socialist Organization, the ISO, And the quote I'm about to read is from the page of their website titled What We Do. Quote, this is is from the International Socialist Organization website. Quote, capitalism is a failing system that cannot meet human needs. It depends on exploitation of workers. See, there's that word again, workers. Mm -hmm. It depends on exploitation of workers, engenders systematic oppression, Breeds imperialist conflict and national oppression, drives climate change, and is prone to crises like the Great Recession. At the (laughs) same time, workers and the oppressed have the power because they produce all the wealth in society to take over and replace the system with a new socialist democracy throughout the world, unquote. Now, that is from the website of the International Socialist Organization, or the ISO. Now, um, Omaha, you'll recall in my definition of what socialism is, that I refer to socialism as a doctrine. Mm -hmm. And what exactly is doctrine? What exactly is doctrine? What does that word mean, doctrine? Mm -hmm. Well, by definition, doctrine is defined as a body or collection of teachings related to a particular subject. That's what doctrine means. It is defined as a body or collection of teachings related to a particular subject. Now, in this case, that subject is socialism. Mm -hmm. Listen to what Winston Churchill, the great Winston Churchill, had to say about socialism. This is how Winston Churchill defined socialism. Quote, Socialism is a philosophy of failure. The creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy, its inherent virtue is the equal sharing of misery. Unquote. That 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 that's a quote right
0: there. I, I I that that needs to be tweeted out. I mean that's <laughs> yeah. That's, if, I, if I love Churchill that. were alive today and on That'd social media, tweet. he would yeah. definitely have he, yeah. he would have yeah. tweeted that out. I love the gospel of envy. I, I yeah. love I love that. I'm definitely yeah. going to use that in the future.
1: Well, look at the words that he uses. Again, this goes along uh, with what I just said earlier uh, in my rationale for defining what doctrine is. Mm-hmm. Churchill calls it a philosophy, a creed. He calls it a, a different gospel. He says mm-hmm. socialism is a philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. Its inherent virtue is the equal sharing of misery. Again, socialism is a doctrine it's a creed it is a philosophy and ideology it is a worldview it's all those things it is a philosophical paradigm through which increasing numbers of people including many who profess to be christian see the world there are those in america and in the church today who hold to a socialist worldview and who are employing their time energy and money to ensure that that worldview succeeds where other attempts have failed. Now, just to give you some additional perspective uh, on on what socialism is and how it is viewed and how we in the church need to take this issue seriously, I want to read some quotes from some individuals who our listeners may or may not be familiar with. But like Winston Churchill, like Frederick Neumeyer, like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, there is something that we can learn from these folks who have gone before us Uh, with respect to what socialism actually is despite the lipstick on a pig approach that people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would have you to accept. Listen to what Ernest Mandel, Ernest Mandel was a 20th century Marxian economist. Mandel said this, quote, socialist democracy is not a luxury, but an absolute essential necessity for overthrowing capitalism and building socialism, unquote, overthrowing capitalism and building socialism. Mm-hmm. Aldous Huxley, Aldous Huxley, the English writer and philosopher said this quote, it is only when we have renounced our preoccupation with I, me, mine, that we can truly possess the world in which we live. Everything provided that we regard nothing as property. Regard nothing as property, Huxley says. And not only is everything ours, he says, it is also everybody else's, unquote. That's Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley is arguing that that we should regard everything that we regard, sorry, everything now that we, we, we hold to a worldview that we regard nothing as property. So we just go ahead and eliminate the idea, eliminate the concept of property so that not only is everything ours, but everything is also everybody else's. Lastly, I want to quote Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand uh, is a Russian American writer and philosopher uh, held in high esteem by many libertarians uh, today. Uh, Ayn Rand said this quote, there is no difference between communism and socialism except in the means of achieving the same ultimate end. Communism proposes to enslave men by force. Socialism by vote. It is merely the difference between murder and suicide. (laughs) Unquote. Yeah. You see? See, Mm -hmm. this, this is, again, we felt it necessary here on the Just Thinking broadcast to deep dive into these things because there is a... In my estimation, a, a broad misnomer, a deep misnomer out there that people think they know what socialism is. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that they don't. Listen to this. I want to refer once again to the website of the International Socialist Organization under their what under the what we do section of their website. Again, this is the International Socialist Organization. But listen to all the causes that this organization supports and advocates under What is an overtly socialist worldview? I listed 12 things from their own website. This is what the International Socialist Organization advocates under the guise of socialism. One, women's liberation. Two, fighting racism. Three, LGBTQ liberation. Four, building a socialist alternative. Five, anti-imperialism and international solidarity. Six, the labor movement. Seven, climate and environmental justice. Eight, education justice. Nine, Palestinian rights. Ten, disability rights. Eleven, indigenous rights. Twelve, independent political action. All those, according to the International Socialist Organization, are causes that they, as socialists, advocate. Any thoughts there, Omaha? Omaha? This is this is really
0: enlightening. I think on a, on a number of different levels. One, when you when you walk through kind of the quotes uh, from from Aldous Huxley, from Ernest Mandel, and and even even from Aaron Aaron Rand. I I, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. And and uh, I, I just we we should be, our eyes should be open to a what we're what we're really dealing with. And then two, with regard to what you mentioned on the international. Um, Socialist organization uh, website. The whole point of of isolating individuals into subgroups or sub is for the purpose of overthrowing the capitalist system. Right. Um, we, we it's it's not for the purpose of of applauding any anything from an individual rights standpoint. They're not looking to help any individual that they mentioned within these groups the whole point of grouping you into subgroups is for the purpose of 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 adding collective uh, adding Mm -hmm. a collective ideology or adding a collective idea to who you are i'm now no longer virgil walker individual i'm Mm -hmm. i'm a black man who's been marginalized by the capitalistic culture that needs to now be overthrown so the whole point of that is is simply so that i sign on to what the socialist agenda actually is. It's not, it's, it's, it's not the idea of, Oh, they're looking out for me. No, no, no. They're looking out for themselves and know that the best way to get to you is to
1: dupe you into
0: believing something that's not
1: true. Yep. See, that was a Hammond B3 moment right there. (laughs) You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Virgil. You nailed it, man. Now, Notwithstanding the fact that I wholeheartedly disavow the doctrine of socialism with every fiber of my being. What I quoted earlier from the website of the International Socialist Organization is correct in one respect. They are correct in one respect. I do agree with them on this one point, and that is this. Capitalism cannot meet human needs. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Capitalism cannot meet human needs. I agree with them. I agree with them completely. Capitalism cannot meet human needs. But neither can socialism, Marxism, Confucianism, Maoism, Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism, fascism, communism, or any other worldly ism for that matter. Mm -hmm. But see, this begs a larger and more important question. If none of these things meet human needs and they don't, then what is it that humanity truly needs? And is there anything today that can meet those needs? Now, that brings me into why socialism is unbiblical. Because the question is, what is it that humanity truly needs? Mm -hmm. Why is socialism unbiblical? And that's what we're, ultimately, that's what we're talking about here in this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast. Why is socialism unbiblical? That's why we titled it a biblical theology of socialism. Now, I'm convinced that a primary reason many professing Christians are buying into the idea of socialism and the social gospel. or What more accurately could be referred to as the socialist gospel is that not unlike those within the international socialist organization, these Christians are under the mistaken impression that societal egalitarianism is the primary goal of the gospel. Come on, man. Come on, man. That is, as we mentioned earlier, they believe that the church should be actively endeavoring to establish the kingdom of God on earth not only by meeting the spiritual needs of people, but also all of their felt needs as well, so that no one is in want of any material thing, and that we should do so by almost any means necessary, even if those means include the confiscation and redistribution of individual wealth and private property by all levels of government. Yes. Yes. Now, needless to say, this is wholly antithetical to what the gospel teaches. Mm-hmm. Case in point, we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes this, quote, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. That's the second time Paul's used that phrase, following our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread, unquote. Now, there is much in that text that is clearly antithetical to socialism. So let's exposit this text at a very high level. The words Paul uses, anyone's bread, those words use the possessive pronoun anyone's as in anyone else's, which implies the idea of private ownership of property, in this case, bread. Mm -hmm. Paul says we did not eat Anyone else's bread without paying for it. So his phrase his use of the phrase anyone else's or anyone's bread implies the idea of private ownership of property, in this case, bread. Secondly, this text in this text, the phrase that Paul uses without paying for it conveys the same idea as the eighth commandment in Exodus twenty fifteen, you shall not steal. So when Paul says we didn't eat anyone else's bread without paying for it, he's inferring the principle that we see in Exodus 20:15. You should not steal. As well as the imperative from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4:28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need now still expositing second Thessalonians three verses seven through 10. A third point is that the phrases that Paul uses with labor and hardship with labor and hardship and working day and night, those phrases carry with them the idea that Christians are to be determined and intentional, intentional in putting forth every possible effort to legitimately provide for themselves So, as to not place a financial burden on anyone else, even if that means personal hardship to them in doing so. Okay? So, when Paul says, we labored, we with labor and hardship, we worked day and night. The principle there, again, we should follow that example. You do whatever is legally and rightly necessary to provide for yourself, even if you incur a personal hardship in doing so. And lastly, with the phrase Paul uses here, eat their own bread, at the end of that text, end of that passage, when he says eat their own bread, that conveys the idea that one must work to acquire their own property, whether it be food or otherwise. And when he says that, that need is no excuse, need is no excuse for taking from someone else that which does not rightfully belong to you. Need is no excuse for that. Scripture clearly teaches that believers in Christ should be willing to work so that they can, quote-unquote, eat their own bread, not someone else's. Now, the the verb willing in that text that we just read in 2 Thessalonians 3, the verb willing, I think it needs to be pointed out. In the Greek, that verb is the word thelo, T-H-E-L-O. That word willing, when you translate it in the Greek, means to be resolved or determined to do a thing, to be purposeful, to have in mind, to intend to do a thing. Now notice that twice in this text, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul equates an unwillingness to work to leading an undisciplined life. Mm. That word undisciplined is atakteo in the Greek, A-T-A-K-T-E-O, Aoc is the word a discipline in the Greek that is a military term that describes soldiers who are deliberately neglectful in carrying out their assigned duties, obligations, and responsibilities mm. so Paul' is making it clear here in second Thessalonians three verses seven through ten that we are to follow as Christians their his example. he worked day and night with labor and hardship so that they would not be a burden on anyone else they ate their Mm -hmm. own bread they didn't eat anyone else's bread without paying for it and the principle here is at the end of that passage as paul says here now such persons we command and exhort in the lord jesus christ to work in quiet fashion and eat your own bread Mm. thoughts on that omaha it, uh, all of all, that text and so many
0: others presuppose private ownership. Indeed. You know, it, it, it presupposes the fact that we, we have that which belongs to us as individuals and it is by our own volition rather than under compulsion that we're to, you know, make that, that we're to give, you know, God, got scriptures clear that God loves a cheerful giver. Um, all of those kinds of issues in scripture, Presuppose the fact that that we are individuals who have rights to our own property, uh, our own our own wealth, uh, our own means of production, uh, and that we we are under we're not under compulsion in any way, shape, or form to be forced to to, to give. Believers in Christ, uh, those of us who are under the gospel mandate, so so for 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 social Justin, justinians to say uh the justicians to say that the the gospel that, that, that it is a gospel imperative that we do X, Y, or Z, uh, that it is a gospel imperative that we're required to do, you know, for 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 those who, who don't have. It, it's it's antithetical to what scripture presupposes about about what we have and how we're able to give.
1: You're absolutely right. See, I'm glad you said that, because, again, similar to what you said earlier about the the terminology, the vernacular, the words that certain socialists will use to try to hook you into their worldview. Mm -hmm. There are Christian social justicians out there who do exactly the same. They'll use words like mandate and imperative and things like that. No, Mm -hmm. no, the gospel doesn't teach that. The gospel doesn't teach that at all. Listen to what John Calvin, even Calvin had to deal with this issue. This is from his institutes. Listen to what Calvin had to say here. Quote, government is not merely concerned with what people eat and drink and with how life is sustained, although it includes all those things by allowing men to live together. It involves more than that. It aims to see that idolatry, blasphemies against God's name and his truth and other offenses against religion are not openly promoted and spread among the people, that the public peace is not disturbed. Here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Calvin says that government's role is to ensure that each person keeps what is his mm-hmm. and that men live together without injury or dishonesty. In short, that among Christians, there should be an open expression of religion and that in society, humanity should prevail, unquote. Mm-hmm. Calvin is arguing here the biblical concept or precept of private property. Calvin says that among other responsibilities of government, and we know from Romans 13, that all that the principle of government is established by God and every government that exists on this planet is sovereignly established by him and providentially established by him. Calvin says that the responsibility of government, that one of those responsibilities is to ensure that each person keeps what is his. Nowhere In Scripture, is government tasked with the responsibility of meeting the practical needs of people. Nowhere. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that. Now, for those who are able to work, the responsibility falls to them individually to make a living for themselves and provide for their own well-being. As we just read with Paul in 2 Thessalonians, provide for their own bread, even if it means suffering hardship in doing so. For those who are able but who are unwilling to or are determined not to work, they will suffer the consequences of their laziness. And laziness mm-hmm. is sin. I want to read three texts from Proverbs to underscore that point. Proverbs 19, 15 says, Laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor, there is profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen: He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. Now, case in point here again, to further this thought that nowhere in Scripture is government tasked with the responsibility or duty of meeting the practical needs of the people. Case in point, 1 Timothy five three, First Timothy five three. Paul writes this: Honor widows who are widows indeed. And in verse five of that same chapter, First Timothy five. Now she who is a widow indeed, and has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and not the government. She's fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Conversely, in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes this. He says, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. In the Greek, that word "burden" means weighed down. Paul is saying that she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows in deed. Now, three times in 1 Timothy 5, Paul uses the word indeed concerning widows. And a widow is one who is lacking a husband. That word indeed is the word ontos in the Greek, O N T O S, ontos in the Greek. That word indeed is an adverb which translated speaks of women who are widows truly, in reality, in point of fact, as opposed to what is pretended fictitious false Mm. or conjectural okay so what paul is saying here is that to the extent the church is responsible for caring for widows and others who would petition the church for assistance those needs must be legitimate and qualifiable Mm -hmm. in other words you can't simply claim to be in need and expect the church to come to your rescue In fact, Paul makes it clear, as we just read in 1 Timothy 5.16, that there are some needs for which not even the church is responsible to meet, or else it would be hindered from meeting more pressing needs of women who are widows. Indeed, he says, listen to what Paul said. Paul said that if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them. And the church must not be burdened. Mm. So there are some needs out there that depend that, that the responsibility falls upon individual believers, not the church. This is clear in First Timothy five sixteen. Yeah. Any thoughts, Omaha brother? This is this this begins to roll into
0: the idea of uh, of ecclesiology, what the church is designed to do and not Bingo. do. And how individuals who represent the church are to respond to those that they know have need. I mean this this is this is really really good stuff, and it's and it really requires for the for the for the believer in Christ to really know their Bible, understand it, and be ready to, to be ready to act and respond uh, to those that they see who who have legitimate need, uh, but to also understand that it is not the role. Of the local church to be burdened by every single thing that takes place, I see it all the time know, as a, exactly as as a as as a full-time pastor, everybody believes that rather than them seeing a need personally and responding to that need based upon what what they have and can do, they think that they need to call up the professionals at the church and that yep. someone there i mean it, it almost represents it, it it almost represents the collective idea right that the, yep. that the churches the local churches Active responsibility is to is to meet all these needs when God is really speaking to your heart because of a need you're aware of right next Mm -hmm. to you with the fellow believer.
1: And, you know, what's ironic is that these quote unquote professionals that you mentioned, especially these social justicians within the evangelical church today, they actually follow a similar approach to socialists where socialism is inherently coercive. Socialism Mm -hmm. is inherently coercive. The gospel, on the other hand, is volitional. The gospel right. the gospel right. is volitional. The gospel mm-hmm. is compulsive by virtue of our love for Christ. It is not coercive. So these right. evangelical social justicians will get out there and try to lay this guilt trip on you, try to mm-hmm. burden you with uh, pseudo guilt, virtual guilt that isn't yours right. in reality. Right. And that's what there is no difference between that and the guilt tripping socialist socialist in the world uh practice. Right. There's no difference whatsoever. Right. Um let me uh let me uh continue our conversation here by quoting something from a great book which I highly recommend uh our listeners pick up and read. This is a book entitled The Victory of Reason How Christianity led to freedom, capitalism, and Western success by Rodney Stark. Uh, In this book, uh, Rodney Stark cites the following comment Which is from a leading Chinese scholar, which he quotes from another book by a Dr. David Aikman titled Jesus in Beijing, how -hmm. Christianity is changing the global balance of power. This is from Dr. Stark's book, The Victory of Reason, uh, as said by a leading Chinese scholar who probably, if you understand anything at all about the environment in China, uh, goes unidentified. Mm hmm. One of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. We studied everything we we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But in 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. Mm. That is why the West is so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. Wow. Wow. This is a leading official in China, a Chinese Mm. scholar who said after all after 20 years of research what they found was that it was christianity it was christianity and christianity alone that can be attribu- that is attributable for the success of the west even the preeminence of the west all over the world now getting back to what a true definition of socialism is I want to quote a couple of uh uh scholars on this. The 19th century English historian John Dahlberg Acton said this. John Acton said that socialism means slavery. Socialism means slavery. Sylvia Pankhurst. Pankhurst was a 19th century women's rights activist, or what we be called uh today or referred to today as a feminist. Uh, Sylvia Pankhurst said this. She said, The words socialism and communism have the same meaning. They indicate a condition of society in which the wealth of the community, the land and the means of production, distribution and transport are held in common, production being for use and not for profit. That's another way of saying capitalism is gone, the individual is gone. What you work and earn is for the collective. Listen to the Irish playwright, George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard Shaw said this. He says that a socialist is someone who doesn't have anything and is ready to divide it up equally among everybody. (laughs) Now, when you boil it all down to the least common denominator, Omaha, A fundamental fallacy of socialism is that it promises what it cannot possibly deliver. Socialism promises what it cannot possibly deliver. That is an egalitarian society that is devoid of consequences for our sin. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what socialism attempts to promise, an egalitarian society that is devoid of consequences for sin. In other words, if you don't want to work, no problem. Mm Socialism will force others to work for you so you can reap the benefits of their efforts. Mm -hmm. But what socialism will also do is force you to work for somebody else so that they reap the benefits of your efforts. Mm -hmm. But in that context, consider these words from Proverbs chapter five, verses twenty one through twenty-three. Proverbs five, verses twenty one through twenty-three. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Mm. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. So to your point earlier, Omaha, socialists will have you believe that socialism is cool. It is the best way to live in the world today this is why more than half of those millennials that's the message that more than half of those millennials have bought into right until right. they are until they're confronted with what the real definition of socialism is right right but again so, 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 go ahead go ahead omar
0: no and or i mean or or until and a the real definition and or until they're forced to cough up money from their own pockets uh, to, 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 to pay for all of the virtue signaling that they're doing. I mean, a, a virtue signaling in a tweet costs you nothing, right? Bingo. I mean, yep. uh, it, it, it absolutely costs you nothing. I was watching a, a documentary uh, from some civil rights leaders who recognized that what they were fighting for and, and the justice that they desired, their the stand that they would take could very well cost them their lives. And, and and they were willing to pay that price if need be, not for the benefit of self, but for the benefit of future generations. Right. And and we and we have a generation now who wants to benefit now for themselves and are willing to do nothing and pay no price. But 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 to virtue signal in order to get it.
1: Right. You're absolutely right. Well said. Well said. Listen to what uh, listen to what Gray, Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Politics According to the Bible, said this, the Bible's teaching on the role of government gives support to the idea of a free market rather than socialism or communism. This is because nothing in the Bible's teachings on the role of government would give the government warrant to take ownership or control of private businesses or property. Mm. The government is to punish evil and reward those who do good and enforce order in our society. It is not to own people's private property or businesses. The Bible's emphasis on the value of human liberty also argues for a free market system rather than a socialist or communist system. A free market allows individuals to choose where they work, what they buy, how they run a business, and how they spend their money. But a government-controlled economy makes these decisions for people rather than allowing people the freedom to make decisions for themselves. Unquote. Mm. William Ellery Channing along the same lines as Grudem. William Ellery Channing said this. I think this is brilliant. Channing said that the office of government does not exist to confer happiness, but to give men opportunity to work out Mm. happiness for themselves. Mm -hmm. Unquote. I thought that was brilliant. Now, that ought to be a tweet. Matter of fact, I think after we're done here, I'll probably tweet, You'll that tweet out. You're tweet that out, right? I think that, yeah,
0: yeah that, that needs to be on a T-shirt and a bumper yeah, sticker. Yeah, somewhere. I mean, that, that that that's right in line with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the what exactly the founders right. who held a biblical worldview understood and, and, and codified.
1: I mean, that's that's where we are. You know, I think about the um, occupational diversity of the disciples that Jesus called. Mm-hmm. Many of them were fishermen. One was a doctor. One was a tax collector. They chose, my point is this, that they chose, they they volitionally decided on what their occupation was, would be.
0: Right, right.
1: Okay, Jesus didn't coerce them into being all fishermen. Mm-hmm. He didn't converse them into lining themselves up or engaging themselves in one particular occupational uh, pursuit or another. But I love what Channing said here. And, but but see, we've got such a paternalistic, maternalistic view of government today that you have that's an entire good. generation
0: that's good, that's, who, that's good, that
1: believes government exists to take care of them. That's good, that's good. It, that that it, it is wholly paternalistic, absolutely, and and, and it's it's so deep seated that paradigm of government as as paternal uh, as 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 father and mother mm-hmm. is so deep seated that the vast majority of people go to the polls when they vote solely on that basis. Right. What but is this person promising, uh, what me. is this person promising me? Right.
0: Yep. 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 It, it's interesting to to witness that, that devastation, particularly in the quote unquote black community. Right. I, I, yes. and, and, I, and I say yes. quote unquote on purpose because what, what we've, what we've witnessed is the absolute destruction of the, of the quote unquote black community as more and more uh, of, of these single mothers have married themselves to the government for the purpose of finance, right? Decided to have more babies, uh, having 70, 72% of them uh, having babies out of wedlock, single motherhood in, in addition, in, in, in exchange for a paycheck from the government, which the government says will we'll continue to pay you so long as there's no dad around. Right. Oh, so as long as yeah. there's no
1: father around. So now, and, and now as a result. Getting, now you're getting nosy.
0: <laughs> now now and now and, and so we, we've got we've got a, a devastated group of people, a dev a devastated ethnic group who now needs are they're doubling down on what destroyed them and put them into poverty in the first place, which is a lack of moral character followed by a hand aimed at government as, as dad, as father.
1: And that was totally by design. That was totally by design. And to your point, Mm -hmm. I want to recommend a book to our listeners. If you don't, if you don't have this and if you've not yet read it, I highly commend to you the book entitled the color of law, the Mm. color of law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America by Richard Mm -hmm. Rothstein. Uh, You -hmm. will thank me later. Uh, Trust me on that. The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Now, Omaha, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Broadcast, I just want to sum up our conversation here by saying unequivocally to our listeners that socialism is a lie. Mm. Socialism is a lie. It is a mirage. It is an ideology whose logic collapses on itself as it is built on the contradiction that under the guise of morality, that is the pursuit of a more fair and equitable society, it is permissible to act immorally. Mm-hmm. That is to steal from one group of people in order to enrich another. But theft is not the means by which God would have us pursue a more just and equitable society. The way you achieve a more just and equitable society is two prong. Number one, by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and, uh, and confessing him as savior and Lord. We see that in Romans 9 and 10. That's number Mm -hmm. one. You come to faith in Jesus Christ and you confess him as your savior and Lord. Romans Mm 9 and 10. Number Mm -hmm. two, After coming to faith in Christ, you commit to obey his word and his word says you shall not steal what rightfully belongs to someone else. That's Mm -hmm. Exodus 2015. Nor shall you covet what rightfully belongs to someone else. Exodus 2017. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant. Or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor mm. proverbs twenty nine twenty one proverbs twenty nine twenty one to show partiality is not good to yeah. show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. Mm-hmm. A man will transgress. To show partiality is not good. Proverbs 2921. The late Dr. R. C. sproul back in 2016 wrote an article on the ligonier website entitled Socialism in Jesus' name. He's asking the question. Mm-hmm. Socialism mm-hmm. in Jesus Name? This is for those who will listen to this episode and will misconstrue everything we've said here thinking, well, you guys are advocating that the church does nothing. No, mm. that's not what we said. That's not what we said. Anyone who would think that hasn't been listening. Right. And, and the person who says that to me on social media, you're getting blocked <laughs> because I know we have been as deliberate and expositional as we possibly could be Mm -hmm. in talking about this issue. And if if that's what you heard, please unsubscribe to us. Please do us that favor.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Listen to what Sproul says here. Sproul says, Jesus wants us to care for the poor, but the us is me and you. Come on, man. It is not me and you. It is not me and you voting for a candidate who promises to take from them. Let me say that again. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants us to care for the poor, but the us is me and you. It is not me and you voting for a candidate who promises to take from them. Bro continues, we cannot feed the hungry in Jesus' name if we have just taken the food from our neighbor. Instead, we are baptizing what we are really doing, giving what we have taken in Caesar's name. We have to give freely, from our own blessing mm. the growing zeal among younger evangelicals for what they call social justice quote-unquote is sadly too often a zeal for social injustice mm. the passion among millennial christians for caring for the downtrodden is laudable their willingness to tread down their neighbor however is not all of us are called to receive freely to give freely. None of us, however, are called to take. And when we do, we take Jesus's name in vain. Mm. Does Sproul nail that or what? Bro, That was
0: that's powerful. Again, very, very powerful and telling. I think it's, it's, it's spot on. It's something that we should kind of reread, revisit over and over and over again. Really, really good stuff. Any last words you've got?
1: Yeah, let's close with this. Again, as a reminder to fellow believers, 2 Corinthians 5, 14a says, for the love of Christ controls us. Mm. The love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us, not the government. Mm. We meet people's needs out of the love of Christ. And let me close with Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, let us, that is the church, let us not lose heart in doing good, the inference being, that the church is already involved in doing good. Mm -hmm. Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we, that is the church, will reap if we, the church, do not grow weary. So then, while we, the church, have opportunity, let us, us being the church, do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith, that is, the church. Again, Mm. meeting people's needs is up to the church. It is not up to the government.
0: Amen. Amen, man. This was a great episode. I just want to encourage those who stuck with us to the end, uh, man, send this particular episode to some friends. Uh, Tweet this thing out. Send it out. I I, I don't usually do a pitch to, you know, subscribe, you know, send, forward, follow, all that. But I would—this is that kind of an episode— uh, you know, Daryl has worked tirelessly uh, on, on putting this together. And, uh, and, and as, a, as a unit, man, we've, we've kind of worked to make sure that you got some of the best of the best in the way of just kind of a, an explanation, exposition of Scripture, the text of Scripture with regard to the issue of socialism. And so I want to encourage you, go back and re-listen to this episode go back take notes this is something that you'll this is an anchor this is this is a floor where you want to you want to build upon your knowledge about socialism from using tools and resources like this man it's been a pleasure to be here with you join us next time for another edition of the just thinking broadcast